I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. G'day Supercoaches and welcome back to another edition of Supercoach Edge. This time of course it is a special edition episode. It's something that uh, I think a lot of people look forward to this time of year and it is the uh, the first draft or the first team reveal and uh, looking forward to this of course you may have seen me do a, a very very early uh, team draft which was way back when uh, the team picker was actually opened for those people that are subscribers to the Supercoach Plus. Um, so I ended up doing that, which is way back around about a month and a bit ago, potentially. But uh, nonetheless, it was good fun, of course. So uh, as you can see here, this is my team name yet again for, I reckon, about the sixth season in a row. DJ trade a lot. But uh, here we go. We'll go into edit team. Blank slate. So here it is. Uh, so let's start from the top down, of course, in defense. Um, I won't go into super detail with my selections just because um, Liam and I have covered off, uh, at this stage anyway, of my team reveal video. We've gone through forwards, rucks, and midfielders we're about to go into. So I guess probably half the team. So I might kind of give a little bit of a um, subcontext, I guess, with some of the defenders and midfielders. But we've run through the rucks in a fair bit of detail. Uh, and then also the forwards as well in terms of primos, mid prices, slash value, as well as rookie selections. If you haven't yet, Go and check them out because there's a lot of strategy um, we've had a chat about, not just in terms of stats, which you know we're really big on um, to sort of guide our selections and thoughts. Um, but yeah, check them out. And um, yeah, hopefully it does give you a little bit of insight that uh, you may not have had. So here we go without further ado. So let's have a, a bit of a geese at defense. And I'm kind of narrowing it down. Uh, I guess I'll probably speak about structure first and foremost with each line as I go through them. So previously, I think I have sort of started with at least two primo defenders, genuine primo defenders here I'm talking about. Uh, I don't think there's been a season there where I've started with three primo defenders. Um, and I think this year more than any other year that the value is kind of centralized in the defense. So it makes me think that maybe I either run with a one defender um, slash another one, another guy who I'll get into who I think is going to be a breakout primo uh, who a lot of people will have. Um, but it's either going with a one genuine primo or going back to the tried and tested two primo structure. So first up, 
I think it probably comes down to two players here for me, and it's James Sicily and Tom Stewart. So both of these guys, I kind of can't split them. I know there's been a little bit of word at present as I record this video in recent days that Thomas Short might get a bit of a go in the midfield. Now, I don't know how to take this news. Um, it may be providing a little bit of upside for Tom Stewart. Uh, of course, Liam and I will talk about this in a bit more detail in our defense video as it comes up in defense week in a uh, week or two two's time. Um, but... Yeah, for me, I think Tom Stewart, he does his best work in defense. Um, and at the very least, you know, I think it was last year he played a couple of games in the, in the midfield. Uh, one of them he scored so-so. Um, he probably had around about 30 40% time CBAs. Um, the rest of it was in defense. And the other game, he absolutely smashed it. So I don't know. We don't really have enough, enough, enough of a data set to really um, base an opinion off here. But I think with Tom Stewart, as we saw last year, He's an out-and-out -out gun. Uh, he got injured early in the season as well, um, if you remember, which was, I think, round two, potentially. Um, we'll just scroll down here. Uh, yeah, and it was round... Sorry, round one, he, he got injured, didn't play round two. So, um, yeah, that kind of pulled down his overall average. And I think he's... Uh, actually, if I just go to DFS Australia, I just want to show you in terms of where we talk about true value, which is what we kind of touch on in every single episode uh, so far over the preseason analysis. Um, you've really got to factor in those games where they may have been either sub-impacted or injury-impacted. So with Stuart, I just want to use him as an example. And you'll see here, switch across to Supercoach, of course. Um, but you'll see here in terms of at the top here, DFS Australia, of course, check them out, do some absolutely fantastic work. He's regular, um, which is, of course, the home and away season. Average, he finished with was 113.7, but that includes that injury-affected score of 18 in round one. Uh, so when you discount that, his actual true average is 118.2, which... If you think that's kind of, if you look at it from that true perspective, it's more of a truer average. It means that he actually gets bumped up to the highest averaging defender going into 2024. So with that in mind, I think his extreme value here at 635, he should have been close to potentially 660, um, just above Nick Dacos there. And I think he's an absolute gun. Um, he's a reliable player. And just the role that he plays, there's no one else that can play like him um, really in Geelong's lineup. So no real uh, risk of it there, but I think that move into the midfield is kind of making me second-guess myself a little bit, maybe just a smidge, um, but at the moment, he is in my team, and I'm kind of interchanging between Sicily, like I said, and Stewart, and initially, when I when I made my team, um, I didn't have either of these guys in there, I don't think, or I had maybe one. Let me just switch across. No, I didn't have any, so I think now, just looking at it deeper, you've got to get one of these guys in, whether it's Dacos as well, potentially, but I'll speak to him a bit later, just the tactics around that, but with uh, Stuart and Sicily, I think you probably should have at least one of those guys. Sicily, I'm kind of at the stage now where I'm keen to start with him. Didn't start with him last year, thought I'd try and trade him in, which I did, um, came at a time when he kind of burst out of the blocks. He had that 170-odd game against a 180-odd game against St. Kilda. But then when he played St. Kilda the second time, he was kind of found out. They kind of reconfigured their defensive structure to nullify Sicily. Um, and there are a few other teams that did it as well. North Melbourne was, was another team. Um, and it really did put a little bit of heebie-jeebies up me because I'm a bit worried that other teams will see that. And when they play Hawthorne, we'll be using that tactic to try and nullify Sicily. However... I do think there are teams that can't really restructure their entire defense just for one player. I think St. Kilda can because pretty much their entire game plan is based off the defense. So if they're restructuring the defense, it's not really going to um, 
cause havoc with the rest of their their team by and large through the middle and up forward. Likewise, North Melbourne, they could potentially do it. Um, but, and I think that's probably the Alistair Clarkson connection as well through North. He knows how damaging Sicily is. So it's a bit of an insider knowledge there. But I'm kind of, yeah, I'm a bit worried about it, but also not. And I think um, Sicily, uh, he's going to be allowed to do his thing. And um, yeah, I think, you know, it kind of speaks for itself. There's 39% of teams have him at the moment. And I think that is a smart, smart move. So both of these guys, I am keen on starting. The other guy I'm thinking of starting, and well, 100% starting, sorry, not thinking, I'm definitely starting. I'm just going to scroll down the list here. And you can probably see in terms of ownership, the giveaway here. And it's Hayden Young. He is going to be the biggest breakout contender, I think. It really is a luxury when you have guys that are moving into another role, having played, you know, five to 10 games in their new role that they're going into in the subsequent year. Um, So we've already seen a snapshot of Hayden Young, what he can produce in the midfield for Freo. And I'm absolutely bullish on this guy. I think he's an absolute gun. And really the one thing I love about him, and I'll just quickly touch on it here, just in terms of his playing style, and it does open up his scoring a fair bit when he's playing in the midfield compared to when he's playing in defense. And you'll see here, the big, big difference is in terms of one of these columns here. And I'll just highlight the games that he played as a midfielder predominantly. Um, And you'll see here, based upon CBAs, of course. Um, So you can see the 81%, 78, 81, 77, and 52. These are the games that he played a bulk of time in the midfield. Um, And he actually scored a 69, 123, 118, 113, and 111. The big thing here for all those games is look at the tackles. 7, 7, 8, 10, 5. And I mean... An eight there is a bit of an outlier, but every other game when he's playing defense, by and large, has been anywhere between two and four tackles. And that there is a massive jump in tackles. So he's going to be a contested beast. He's a sort of sort of player, as you can see there, that really does relish the contest and, and being in close and really building his game off at tackle numbers, which Liam and I are always big about when we talk about Took Miller, we talk about Steele, uh, LDU, Tom Green, all these contested players that have a really strong tackle game. They tend to have a high floor. So that's the one thing that I really, really am looking forward to with Hayden Young. And you can see there with those those numbers that he's producing, all over 110 um, has been really, really good to see. So there's a nice snapshot there of five games that, uh, you know, it kind of gives an insight. The crystal ball almost uh, in the back half of 2023 to see what he should be producing and what we expect him to produce in 2024. So he is a lock and load. Everyone should have him. Should be way more than 36%. So um, if you don't have him, put him in the team. He is probably the one guy in terms of breakout contenders I am the most confident in, hands down. Uh, in terms of other players that I'm looking at, and I think the next one in D4 is pretty much a given. Um, we'll just sort of buy ownership here. It's probably a bit easier. And you can see there the equal most owned player in defense alongside Nicky Dacos um, is Zachy Williams. And I think the value that he provides is just out of this world. You know, his starting price from last year was 425. Now it's less than, um, or it's half half that virtually. Um, so supreme value there, as you can see. Um, the year before that, when uh, he was playing, only played the nine games, was a 461 his starting price. Um, and back in 2021 at the Giants, 458. So I guess what we can expect at the very least is he will be able to get back to that price, the starting price that he has had, or even the ending price is what he has had in previous seasons. So if you look at him at making double the investment, um, you know, of what uh, his starting price is, he is an absolute lock and load. So no surprise there in 61% of teams. 
don't mind that. And I think, yeah, he's, he's a lock and load. You have to have him. Um, I could speak about him a little bit longer, but it kind of speaks for itself, I think. Uh, next up, we have, uh, let me just scroll down the list here. Uh, and this is kind of the section where we're getting into the value uh, selections here in defense. And it is Marty Hoare. Uh, had him in my team uh, when the Supercoach Plus picker was opened. Um, and he's one to watch. He's my team at the moment. And I do think, you know, mature age player, he has had the experience at senior level. Yeah, so as you can see here, he ended up scoring very, very well to start his career. Um, discounting the 58. He had 86, 96, 86, 88, 89, 75, and a 116 and 94. And yeah, he kind of fell away from there and then couldn't find his way back into the team. But that there is a nice little snapshot of what he can produce when he is in the team. And I think there's potential there that, um, you know, they've drafted him for a reason, his mature body, and I think they need a bit of depth um, in defense there. So... Um, I'm happy enough with him at the moment. Hopeful, you know, that he does play early season, if not round one, and he'll be a very, very nice playing cash cow for us over the course of the season, or at least at the uh, early part of the season. Next up, we have another guy who has been in the system for a little while, um, and uh, yeah, he's crossed over to a new team. Injury issues, uh, that's the big asterisk, the big query about him, but he's in 57% of teams here. It's Nick Caulfield, no surprise, really. I have to sort of see where he lines up. I think he's kind of being groomed to play off half back there for the doggies. Um, knock on wood that he actually is able to string some games together uh, and really get over those injury woes that he had at St. Kilda. Highly rated player, first round draft pick from memory. So I think he is a lock and load. On the bench here, um, there's a player that I'm probably most keen on and it is Josh Gipkis uh, in terms of, I guess, not lock and load as yet, but he's, he's a bit of a semi-lock I think, you know, his first year at Richmond played 17 games from memory. Yes, 17 games. And um, he ended up averaging a 53.9. Not the best, but I mean, first year rookie. Uh, had a few nice games in the 60s, 102, 79, 66, 60, 68, um, and then kind of was up and down. But I think, you know, he's been in the system now for um, how long? He's going to his uh, third year now. So coming back from a, a, you know, a season out with injury in 2023, but I think at that price, you can't go wrong and should be a best 22 player for the Tigs. So this last bench spot here, just moving on to this, is a spot that I think isn't a lock by any means, and it kind of switches between um, a few players here. I could go for Dan Curtin, although I think, um, and you will hear as well in the uh, the episode when we chat about him in the midfielders, that Curtin being at this higher price range you know, any, any rookie that's at a higher price range has to average more in order to make more bank compared to, say, a Gipkis or compared to a Caulfield or a, or a Marty Hall, um, such is the nature of break-evens uh, and the three-round rolling average. I'm not a massive fan of him as yet, even though I think his job security will be pretty sound. So that's the one thing I'd be buying him for. Uh, the one caveat is that he is a dual position player. Sorry, a, um, he is a dual position player, which is good as well, but he's a key position player. And historically, as we know, whether you're playing in defense as a key position player or up forward, you're going to be a slow burn. Um, so I'm not a massive fan of slow burn rookies, especially this season when we have a few buys to contend with, which can disrupt, um, I guess, the you know, the cash-making abilities of certain players. Thankfully, Curtin only for Adelaide only has the one buy, but I think those players um, that play the uh, round zero, even though they've got the double buy, it means they've actually got to jump on those players uh, that don't 
have the game in round zero or the opening round just because you know they're not playing the early game and it means that they're going to have a price rise a week earlier than those teams not playing in round zero. So it's between Dan Curtin for me. Toby Pink is another one, but I don't know how he's going to fit into North's lineup. There's been uh, potential of another guy, Combin, I think it is. But yeah, Combin is, uh, as we record this now anyway, reports coming out of training that he is taking kickouts and they're grooming him as a defender. So maybe he does take the spot of Toby Pink. Even so, I'd need to see exposed form for Toby Pink. And he nonetheless will be a slow burn like Curtin because he's a, a key position defender. Uh, outside of him, I am bullish on another player around about that range. Cheaper than uh, Curtin as well by 50, what, two grand or thereabouts, roughly nearly 52 grand on the dot. Zach Reed. So he's been in the system for a little while as well, but battled with injury. So there's a common theme amongst all these guys here that uh, have been in the system for a little while, but, uh, you know, rookie price because they've battled with injury. So he didn't play a game in 2023. Prior to that, 2022 was able to play seven games for an average of 46.3. And then 2021, he ended up playing one game for 53. I need to see where this guy's going to line up. I have heard that maybe he's being groomed for a wing role, maybe off defense. Uh, When he was played at senior level, he was kind of, from what I remember, swung around at different positions. So I'd like to see how he fits into the Don's lineup. But if he is best 22, which I think he probably should be, um, and I'll need to have a chat to Liam about him uh, on our upcoming Defender episode, but I am bullish on him uh, at 123.9K. Should get opportunity, you'd think, and hopefully he's able to score enough to, um, I guess, make enough bank for us. Uh, Could be a slow burn as well, but nonetheless, I'd prefer a slow burn that's 50K cheaper than, say, a Daniel Curtin. So I'm going to stick with Reed at the moment, but that could be a rotating spot. And by no means, Gipkis is not a lock as yet, but I do like his opportunity probably, you know, over all these guys thus far. But let's nonetheless move into, shall we go to the midfielders? The, the meatiest part of our team? Let's do it. Okay, let's let's move into the midfield. And um, M1, I'm chopping and changing here. I don't know really who I'm settled on. We haven't spoken about Bont yet. We do do our record, but just to summarize... Uh, for the midfielders primo episode, we were chatting about Bont and the merits of starting him. I think, you know, and which, what we touch on in that episode is that players at that extreme price point, they're inevitably going to drop in price. So I think he's going to drop around about 650, uh, whether or not he starts the season on fire. Um, he still needs to, you know, meet his break even of um, 130 to start the season. I think there's probably more likelihood with his three round rolling average to start with that at least one of those games is going to be below that mark. Who knows? He may come out and absolutely smash it, but I think I am banking on him dropping in price. Historically, players that have been the most expensive player to start the season have dropped around about 160 to 180K. I don't know if Bond's going to drop that far, um, but I just think tying up that amount of money does kind of tie your hands in terms of the amount of money you can spread across your team. So I'm not a massive fan of starting with him. However, I'm not locked and loaded on that um, that strategy either because starting without Bond at that price point, even if he does drop to 650, it does make it awfully hard to try and get him in your team because you need to time it almost perfectly at the time that you know he drops to that price point because in all likelihood, knowing Bond, Bond being Bond and quality that he is, he's going to like arrest that uh, drop in price and then turn it around almost within a week or two and he's going to catapult up again. So you really need to time it well and a lot of the time you can't time it unless you've got 
you know, you're at a stage in the season where you've cashed in a lot of cash cows and you've got some excess coin to really, um, you know, cash to splash. So, I mean, Bont, the other upside is with starting him is as a genuine VC and C option goes without saying from week to week. Um, and 31% of the competition thus far think that he is a genuine starter. So I'm kind of on the fence here, 50-50, but I think I might be fading him um, to start the season. So I'm going to go for a little bit uh, of a cheaper player. And uh, it's someone that I think has matched him in the past, and it has been Rory Laird. He has averaged around about a 120-odd, uh, thereabouts, uh, a couple of seasons back. Had a bit of a down season, but I think, you know, at, what's that, 5, 6, 7, 71K cheaper than Bond, that's a lot of money uh, that you're saving in order to potentially, you know, give you a leg up from going a mid-pricer to, you know, a low-end premium, for example. Um, so I am a fan of going for someone around about this range. I did have track last year, um, and I am a fan of starting with him again. He is only a little bit more expensive than Laird. You know, and if Clary doesn't start the season, I think that that really does catapult the prospects and scoring ceiling of track even further. Um, because historically, when track has played without Clary, um, he has scored more from memory. So yeah, I'm kind of, I'm still considering track, uh, merit, not so much. He starts the season up and down. And obviously, as we know, over the past three seasons, I think it has been, uh, after the buy, he's absolutely come home with a wet sail. So I prefer to wait on merit. Nicky Dacos, I'll get to him in a moment. And all these other guys, I'm not a massive fan of butters. I am a fan of, uh, even cheaper. Uh, so I don't mind him as another option. And Jordan Dawson is probably the other guy that I'm thinking about. But yeah, it's a virtually a coin flip, I think, between Dawson and Laird. Dawson, uh, as we'll you'll hear us or see us uh, speaking about in our midfield primo um, episode, I spoke of these two guys alongside each other and Laird and Dawson. Dawson does have the ability to go backwards, as we know, take kick-ins as well. So it does add an extra string to his bow that Laird doesn't have. Although Laird... I think from memory does have better tackling numbers compared to Dawson. So they kind of have their own strengths um, that the other person doesn't have as such. So it's virtually splitting hairs for me. Um, so maybe I go for Dawson, save what, seven, six odd K thereabouts, or do I go for Rory Laird? So I'm going to go for Laird for now, but that is by no means a lock and load. Now in M2, you're probably asking me and you're waiting for me to select this bloke here, Nicky Dacos. Initially, I did have him in my team. Uh, as I flick across to my initial team there, as you can see, so far it was Laird and Dacos. Now I'm kind of at the opinion now, and I'm very, very split, uh, but with Dacos having the early buy and me having to, I guess, even out the number of players that have early buys in my team and the fact that if we just go across to this here, this of course is the buy fixture that has been supplied by Honeyball. Um, so check them out. But as you can see here, Collingwood have the buy in round five, and prior to that, they play Hawthorne, which as we know um, with McGuinness, he is no doubt going to tag Dacos, considering that he has done it um, to great effect over his past two encounters. Aside from that, he does play uh, two games uh, against the Sydney teams, the Giants and the Swans, and then St Kilda and then the Lions. He could come out and absolutely smash it, um, you know, much like he did last year. It doesn't matter where he plays, if he's in defense, if he's up on the wing, if he's in the engine room, you know, he does have the ability to run all day. That's the one big strength when it comes to Dacos. And I do like that. And I do think that even though he is priced at, um, uh, what is it, 116.3, 
Uh, he probably should be priced a little bit more than that because from memory, when he got injured, he only scored a 41, um, but of course was tagged by McGuinness. Um, so, you know, Port Adelaide, he was tagged by Drew as well. Um, and they should have continued the, the tag because he was getting absolutely smashed. And then Hinkley, for some stupid reason, took the tag off him and was able to come out of the blocks and at least score a 99. Um, and then an 82 against Carlton, which I think he was tagged or at least followed from memory. Um, so I don't know, like, do do the teams that he's playing early in the Giants and the Swans try and put some time and effort into him? Uh, and then, of course, the game against Brisbane. He scored a 151 at the Gabba um, last time he played them. So it's a bit of a mixed bag there. St. Kilda as well, 128 last time he played them. So for me, I think I'm willing to bite the bullet. He's in 61% of teams, which is in a lot of teams, obviously, over the uh, the vast majority, uh, more than half, as you can see there. So I'm willing to take the risk, the gamble, and potentially look to trade him in after. Hopefully, he has a down game against McGuinness, against Hawthorne leading into his bye. But um, getting him after his bye means that I don't have to start with him and I don't have to try and find cover for him on his bye um, when that does come into effect. So I think I am happy enough to go without him, but he's probably going to be one of the first people I'm going to need to bring into my team just because he does worry me that much. Dual position player as well as defender midfielder is an obvious bonus as well. So he is someone that I am targeting, but uh, for M2, let's move into who I'm thinking about. It could be Zach Butters, kind of toing and froing between a couple of players here. It's either going to be Zach Butters or LDU. LDU, you know, you know I'm massive on. Uh, tune into our midfield midfield episode when it is released this coming week. But yeah, between Butters and LDU, I think LDU... Liam and I spoke of him alongside Tom Green this time last year in the preseason, and we identified him as a breakout contender. And if not for injuries, he probably would have been. Um, And we go into great detail in our uh, midfielder primo episode, which we'll be dropping on Monday, this Monday to come, of course. Um, But as you can see here, like when he returns from injury, he's entered the season, I think he's kind of a snapshot of what he will be able to produce uh, come 2024 when it kicks off. 134, 129, 133, 127, 106, and 125. Um, Battle with injury throughout the early part of the season uh, and really came out of the blocks in the back half when he started to regain fitness. So I am a massive fan of LDU, and I think it will be starting with him. I think I'm pretty much set from here. Let's move on to M3. And again, it's a bit of a tactical move, this one, and it's one that I think has been spoken about a fair bit um, in the community in recent times. Initially, I did have Zach Butters here, and I, I again, I'm still on the fence. I don't know if I'm going to go down this route, but I did have him in here. I've taken him out, and I've switched it with a tactical play of Tom Green. Now, you've probably heard of this tactic already. If you haven't, well, to summarize, what it does mean is that Tom Green, uh, he does have the buy in round three, of course. So the idea behind this is his first two of his first three games, he plays North Melbourne and West Coast. You would think against, I guess, poultry opposition, no disrespect, he should come out and absolutely smash it. And I think he probably will. And not only that, but that comes in the, th- the, the first three games. Plays Collingwood first up. Tough game, yes, no doubt, but it's these ones here we want to really look at. And the fact that he plays three games means that we're going to get one price rise out of him. If he comes out and has a respectable score against Collingwood and then comes out and smashes against North Melbourne and West Coast, off the back of smashing North Melbourne, his break-even should plummet. 
And that means that if he has a massive game against West Coast, his price is going to go through the ceiling. So just in terms of that, we'll click on him ever so quickly and check out his break-even. His break-even is going into the year a 111. And just going back to the tactical side of things. So part of the reason of selecting him is the fact that he faces West Coast and North Melbourne in his first three games. Playing three games, it means we get a price rise. Hopefully it's a big price rise. From here, the tactic that is sort of being floated in the community is trading him to a player that's coming out of their buy. So that would include a player from, say, Carlton or the Lions. And the whole reason behind this is the fact that if you were to keep Tom Green going into his buy in round three, it obviously means you have to replace him and find you know, someone off the bench to cover him whilst he's on his buy, which no doubt would have to be a rookie, um, unless, of course, he's sideways him, which in this case is the tactic. So the whole idea here is trading him to a player from Carlton or the Lions. For me, and some people have spoken about this guy as well, as you know, I'm a massive fan of, of Sammy Walsh, as you can see here, the good old Walshy in a can, uh, Walshy juice. Um, and the whole idea behind that is it means that you're able to cover, to cover Tom Green with Tom Walsh. Tom Walsh, Sammy Walsh. Um, but yeah, it means that you're not having to forego um, a primo on the buy. You're replacing the primo with a primo and it means you get an extra primo for that week or for that round in round three. And yeah, it means that you've obviously bypassed Walsh's buy in round two because you don't own him. And when you bring him in, he's coming off his buy. So virtually you're bringing him in um, knowing that he's, he's not on a double buy um, and he only has that you know traditional late season buy to come. Yes, some people may say, and I am a traditionalist, as is Liam, as you would have heard if you've tuned into us um, across the past few years, we're not a big fan at all of doing any sideways trades. However, now the fact that we do have 40 trades means that we can afford to potentially use maybe one, maybe two of those extra four trades to sideways players who are going into their early season buy. So you could also apply this to say, as I said, it could be a Josh Dunkley, it could be a Lockie Neal, uh, it could be uh, Kian Coleman, uh, for example, who I didn't speak to earlier uh, in, when I was going through defense, but I'll get to him in a moment. Uh, but he is another player that you could potentially do it on um, and so on and so forth. So that's kind of the idea. And I'm keen on doing that because if I wasn't doing it, I would probably have Sammy Walsh in this position here. But the whole idea is trying to maximize points and I guess, you know, trying to dodge these early season buys to yeah get as many points in your team on any given week um, using these extra buys that we have at our disposal. So um, that's pretty much the idea behind that. Um, before I get into M4, let's just jump back to defense and Kitty, Kitty and Coleman or uh, Kitty Coleman. Um, the beauty of him, and I think you probably don't need to start him, and it go the same applies for Carlton as well. Um, the fact that they, Carlton and the Lions, both have the buy in round two, it means that you can virtually have a free look at uh, the way they perform in round zero and round one uh, before they actually go into their buy. And it means that because they're not playing the three games, their price is not going to rise or fall. So it's virtually a free look at these players. Um, see how, how they perform in round zero. Sure, you're going to miss out on whatever score that they get in round one, um, but you know, you're not going to be stuck with them going into a buy in round two if you start with them. So that's part of the reason why I'm not starting with Walsh at this stage. Uh, and the same applies for Kitty Coleman. So you can easily get these guys coming out of their buy in round two, going into their third game when they're on the bubble. Um, so if Kitty Coleman comes out and smashes it in his first two games, like he did when he ended the season um, in the prelim and grand final, 
you can have confidence in knowing that you're going to get an absolute bargain because his price hasn't changed. Um, and if he scored well against against Carlton and Frio, it means that his price is going to absolutely skyrocket. So you can get on after a free look. So that's firstly um, the sort of the thinking behind buy structures and, and, and really working the early season buys to your advantage with the use of trades. Um, so that is that for M3. Let's move on now to M4. And this is a guy that I think is supreme value. Again, tune into our midfielder primo episode and you'll hear the reasons why. But we'll have to scroll down a fair bit here and it kind of highlights the amount of value that he does present. And it is the running man, Tookie Miller. Liam and I absolutely love this bloke. Uh, as you know, had a knee injury, um, but started the season so-so, but started to build in round four and five, as you can see here. Unfortunately, got injured against North and yeah, didn't come back until round 17, which whereupon he kind of played more time up forward and his CBAs did drop um, and was up and down. But I think with Dimmer Hardwick at the helm, I'm sure when he was at Richmond as the, as the uh, senior coach, he would have known the quality of Took Miller knowing the strengths, even as an opposition coach. So going into the head honcho um, role at the Suns, he's going to know how to use him. And I think he's going to be able to just slot him straight back into the engine room and use him um, at his disposal. So I am very, very keen on Took Miller. Uh, his starting price, just for comparison, last year was 662.4. Look at that starting price, 545.5. So yeah, more than 100 against 100 and 120 almost, yeah, cheaper. So yeah, he is an absolute bargain. And I think there is merit in not starting him just because of the fact that going back to here, the early season buys, he does have the buy in round three. So you could potentially bring him in after his buy. But the big thing here is the fact that he plays his three games. And if he smashes it in the first three games, he's going to get at least one price rise which means you're not going to be able to get him at this reduced price point that he starts the season at. So that's the big appeal, I guess, for me in starting with Tookie Miller. If he was in the situation of, say, what Walshie is in, where he'd only play the two games and then go into a buy in round two, I would probably use this tactic to you know trade Tom Green to Tookie Miller, for example, and start a Walshie or vice versa. So that's kind of my thinking behind him. And I think he should be able to get back to his heights that he had in 2022 when he was, what, 115 plus, 120 plus from memory. So an absolute gun. Um, and I think a lot of people should be considering him. But nonetheless, um, keep watching him because uh, we want to make sure that he's at full fitness. As you can see there, 2022, he started, or oh, sorry, finished the season uh, as the third highest scorer overall. So an absolute gun, as we know. And there you go, finish average of 120.3. So it could be one of the biggest bargains of the season in terms of fallen primos. So love that from Tookie Miller, the running man. Next up we have in M5. It's a guy that will be going up the ranks, I think, in terms of ownership. But uh, we'll just keep scrolling down. And he, I think he's going to be an absolute bargain. But he's going to be a mid-price bargain uh, if you consider his price point at mid-price. Mid-price point. Um, it is Carl Amon. So he played the back part of the season and I'll just pull it up here for the Hawks, playing as a distributor off halfback. And you'll see here, his scores went too crash hot during the season. But when we go to his last um, three, four, five games, six games even, um, he scored very, very well. 96, 113, 103, 133, 119, and a 76. Um, where he was playing that distributor role off halfback, which at the moment, in training and stuff uh, in the preseason, he is playing in that role yet again. So again, similar to what we spoke of with Hayden Young, 
It provides a bit of a snapshot of what he can produce going into this role proper in 2024. So that is absolute gold. It's a crystal ball moment. Um, so yeah, he is a lock and load. And I think of that ownership, as we'll see over the course of the scratch matches and the official or practice games uh, and the official preseason game, when people get a bit of an you know, a snapshot, a bit of a look with, uh, you know, a bit of the eye test. He'll pass the eye test. And I think that will jump right up to, I reckon, 15% plus. No doubt playing in that defensive role come round six. Uh, he will get that DPP activation as a defender midfielder as well, which will be ever so useful um, because likewise will happen with Hayden Young. So that's sort of the extra bonus here is that you'll be able to use the swing between these guys here. And as well, if you've got a Nicky Dacos, you can do that as well. So I am a massive fan of Carl. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'll aim on. Moving down to, where are we? M6. Uh, and it is someone that only recently came into my team. I don't know if I will start with him, James Jordan, because he's obviously playing for the Swans in round zero. Got an early season buy, of course, that comes with it. But I think, you know, he's going to be in my team for now. I'll see how he performs in round zero. Um, Liam and I spoke about him in our forwards um, episode for value slash mid prices, I think it was, or potentially rookies. Um, and we spoke about the fact that, you know, his, his uh, average going into 2024 was impacted by, I think there was five or so games where he played or finished as a sub. Uh, which really did impact his average. I think taking those out, he averaged around about 60-odd, I think, from memory, um, give or take. But, you know, I really need to see this guy getting CBAs um, or at least playing off the wing and, you know, showing some nice form. If he does, it's going to be an absolute bonus. And I think he'll be a lock and load, despite the fact that he does have that early season buy, as I said. But the main thing is, I think, just to keep that in mind, is you you kind of need to almost pick and choose as to which guys you're going to start in your team that have the early season buy. Um, but I think with James Jordan, just bringing up that buy fixture again, if I can bring it up, Sydney. So they obviously play the first five games. And if James Jordan is able to first and foremost get a game, but also score well and get real midfield time, because historically when he has at the Ds, he has actually has scored quite well. Um, it means that if he plays all five of these games, it means that he has a first price rise against the Dons in round three, a second price rise in round, sorry, round two. In round three against the Tigers, he has a another uh, price rise potentially and then round four he has again another price rise so you're going to get three price rises out of James Jordan which at that point the Swans going into their buy in round five he could potentially flip him um, hopefully he's made enough cash and if he scored pretty well um, you could even opt to I guess hold him um, through his buy if his break even is quite low but 
The point of this is that I guess these cash cows that are playing around zero, they're going to get an extra price rise compared to those teams that are only playing or starting their season around one. So yeah, using this as an example here. So if there's West Coast player, a rookie, say um, Reed, for example, everyone's going to have him. So Reed's going to have a price rise here, round three and round four, two price rises compared to James Jordan with three. So it means that those rookies in round zero uh, could help, I guess, you know, elevate your team and, and you know, help give you some early cash generation um, as a bit of a tactic there. So uh, let's get back to this. James Jordan, he's a bit of a lock at the moment, uh, but not a lock and load as such yet. So we'll use round zero to see how he goes. And if he performs well, we'll keep him in our team. If not, then we'll just switch him out and have to reassess who we bring in at that uh, M6 spot. Moving on to M7 though, let's move now to a guy that everyone's going to have in their team. I think these two spots here probably speak for themselves here. It is McKercher. He has been playing or training off halfback uh, with a potential move into the midfield and has been playing quite well. High praise from North uh, senior players as well as coaching staff. So lock and load, will get opportunity and should score well. I think he averaged quite well in the NAB league as well. Um, but of course, tune in to our midfield rookie episode when it does drop this coming week. And the other one is Riley Sanders as well. Again, scored well in the NAB League um, and, yeah, should get opportunity off the back of Baz Lenka being injured. Um, and, again, high praise. I think it was Johannesson came out on RSN um, radio and said, yeah, that he was super impressive and should play most games, I think he was quoted as saying, by any injury. So that's pretty much a given, both of these spots here, I think, across most teams. Moving on to the uh, bench here, this is by no means a lock at all. But I'll just probably go down here in terms of ownership. It's easy enough to sort. But uh, I'm a massive fan of Jai Clark. Should be coming in. Selwood no longer playing there. And aging Dangerfield, I think Geelong will know that they need to sort of usher in the next generation. And Jai Clark, when he did play, he only played the one game, then got injured um, and was unable to uh, make a return in 2023. But... Uh, from what we saw, they were giving him about 20% CBAs from memory, limited game time as the sub. Um, so, yeah, and uh, should score well and get opportunity, you'd think. Outside of Clark, I am a massive fan at this stage, as you can see there. So are 50% of the competition. Jeremy Sharp, mature age player, recruited from Gold Coast as a um, SSP selection, a supplementary uh, selection. Um, He's being mooted to be moving into the uh, the winger role, potentially um, battling with Chapman, um, who's another guy who I initially had in my team, uh, my team picker team uh, that uh, that I had. But yeah, I think wait and see with Sharp if he can win that role in the uh, on the wing, or at least be in the best twenty two come round one. By reports, he will be. Uh, I think he's, he's almost a lock and load. Outside of that, um, I don't know who I'm going to be selecting. Again, I could go back to Dan Curtin, but at the higher price point, maybe not. But Darcy Wilson at the moment, a highly rated youngster, and by all reports, could potentially play round one for St. Kilda. Um, but if he is camped as sort of more grimmed as a bit of a forward, as a high half forward moving into the midfield, could kind of give me the heebie-jeebies because I started with, or at least I traded in Philippu uh, early season because he played a good game and then I thought, oh, it might be a cash get a jump on. Silly me. Um, and of course, was camped up forward more often than not. So he is one to sort of monitor over the preseason. But otherwise, I am happy enough to leave him there for now. So that's pretty much my defense and my midfield. The only other guy I will speak to that I did have, um, actually, no, I'll speak to him a bit later in terms of guys that I was thinking about bringing in, but it is Matt Crouch. So I'll speak to him a bit later. 
if I remember. Uh, but let's move on to the rocks, and I think it's probably a non-negotiable here, and probably given uh, you would have heard in our ruck episode that Liam and I run through how much value Gorn and Grundy are, and uh, it kind of it's it's absolutely insane value here. So. We'll put them both in our teams. Um, the big thing here is in terms of Gorn, as we spoke to it here, I'm just sort of running through some notes here that I've got. But um, Gorn historically has been able to average 120 plus, And those are the years where he hasn't had any sort of direct competition for Ruck or had any Ruck support. So um, as we saw in 2023 with Grundy, uh, when he was sharing the Ruck with Grundy, his average was 97.3. But then without Grundy, his average skyrocketed to 125.2. And those are the heights that he was reaching, as I said, back in yesteryear when there was no Grundy. When there was a Luke Jackson there, he was cramping his style, and that's when his, his average tended to drop. So I think he can recapture that form that he did have in years gone by and average close to, if not more, than 120. So he's a lock and load, Maxi Gorn. And uh, also with him, just sort of, again, we've probably spoken about, and you would have no doubt watched our Ruck um, episode, if you haven't, checked it out, because uh, we go into a fair bit of detail, analytical-wise. But with him, with Gorn, as you know, uh, he got injured uh, with a zero and copped the donut. And um, yeah, that obviously that donut is in his average overall. Uh, so even though he goes into the season with an average of 104.5, if you subtract that zero, uh, his true average is actually a 111.3, which is pretty healthy, which, I mean... If we're talking about it in terms of um, price point and, and average, he would be priced as the third highest Ruckman going into 2024. So he is extreme value. Not extreme, I guess. He's probably going to be, you know, probably priced around about a 615, 620 odd. Um, so, you know, 40 odd savings, 40 odd K savings, you'd think. So, I mean, considering that uh, and what he can produce is extreme value. So I'll stick with that. I'll stick with that claim. And Grundy's likewise as well. Very, very, I guess, mirrored to Gorn in the fact that he was able to lift his average when Gorn wasn't there, when he took over from when Gorn was injured. Um, he scored 74, 143, 144, and a 128 for an average of 122.3. But when he was sharing the ruck in those 13 games with Gorn, his average was only 75.2. Mindful, of course, he was playing more time up forward. Now at the Swans, he's got no competition. And yeah, he should go back to what he was able to produce when he was at the Pies without any competition. Much like Gorn, you know, when, when Mason Cox is there, he's cramping his style. Uh, and then when Darcy Cameron was there, he was, he was cramping his style. So... Again, he's going to have full reign uh, as the number one ruck at the Swans. So they're a lock and load for me. We spoke about Tim English in both the uh, general ruck episode, but also we did a follow-up episode on the ruck strategy and structure. And we spoke about the merits of starting or fading English. And I think very much like Bond, um, tying up that amount of money in a single player can be fraught with danger. Um, and I just think, I just like to to lock in value. And when it comes to guys like, you know, if it wasn't Gorn and Grundy, if it was a, a Nank, for example, and he's cheaper than what he was, I wouldn't be as comfortable in doing it and probably have more confidence in starting with English just because, you know, Gorn historically and Grundy, both of these guys have been able to reach those heights of 120 plus. And just because they come with that value of, as well at uh, the lower price point, I think you kind of can't pass it up. Uh, sure, you know, there may come a point in the season where, you know, Grundy may overstay his welcome. And by that stage, hopefully English has dropped in enough price uh, and Grundy has risen up in price enough for me to do a bit of a sideways swap if need be. But I am confident in both of these guys, at the very least, finishing as the top three to four 
Ruckman uh, come the end of the season. Um, I think English probably should still be the top Ruckman uh, scoring-wise at the end of the season, but I think, you know, we spoke about use it as an example. If if um, English's average drops from 128 to 120, he will drop, I think we worked it out, I think it was pretty much 40K on the dot. Um, so he's going to drop a fair bit uh, off the back of, you know, I guess that's, you know, if he starts the season pretty slow. But he could start the season pretty well and maintain his price. But he still needs to maintain that average in order to maintain that price. So at some point in the season, um, he is going to drop. Yeah, and the, the thing is as well, the start of his season from memory, as we spoke about, they're pretty tough games against Melbourne, against Gorn, obviously, and also against Gold Coast. So Gold Coast, we'll just bring it up here, the fixture. So Melbourne and Gold Coast... He's only averaged in six games against Gold Coast, 74.2, and in seven games against the Ds, a 98.6, well below his um, starting average of 128-odd. So I can see him having a bit of a downer at least in one of those two games, if not both. If he has a downer in both of those games, even if he's able to you know, come back and smash it in his third game, when he has that first price change, he's going to drop. Um, and if he has two down games against both of those teams in Gold Coast and Melbourne, it means that his price is going to absolutely plummet um, and you'll be able to get him at an absolute bargain if you bring him in and target him as an early season upgrade. So that's part of the reason why I'm not starting with English uh, combined with the, uh, I guess, the value that we're speaking to when it comes to Gorn and Grundy. Let's move on to our uh, our bench and uh, I'll sort this by ownership because no doubt he is right up there and it is Jordan Sweet. Um, he has been playing as a number one ruck across the preseason to date, but of course, just to preface that uh, with a little bit of an asterisk, that is because Ivan Soldo is recovering from uh, finger surgery uh, and a finger injury. So um, once Soldo does regain fitness, I think there will be a bit of a skew to Soldo being that number one ruck. He was recruited um, and it was pretty, uh, I guess... It was noted in the media anyway, but they were pretty vocal at Port that they were recruiting him as number one ruck. It's unfortunate for Sweet because he's leaving, um, you know, I guess the shadow of English at the Dogs to go to Port to potentially be able to carve out a spot in the ruck. But, you know, it might not happen. But uh, Jordan Sweet, I think for what he can provide or potentially provide, 158.7, you can't go too wrong with that. Otherwise, the other guy that I'm looking at is Toby Conway because I think the Cats will be needing to blood uh, their next generation in the ruck. They've lost Segler, uh, obviously recruited him as a mature age player from Hawthorne, getting injured and stuff. So he has retired. Um, and they do have Reece Stanley as well, who is getting on in age. And I think they will need to blood Toby Conway at some point in the season. Could be potentially round one. If he is selected round one, Conway, um, and Sweet isn't, I think it speaks for itself bring Conway in um, and vice versa if Sweet plays and Conway doesn't, then start with Sweet. Just on that as well, uh, you'll have heard in terms of our Ruck Strategy episode, check that out. won't go into too much detail. You'll just have to check that out because we go into more detail in that episode and I don't want to um, stretch this episode out. But um, we're virtually saying that I think this is probably the year where we revert back to playing with a playing R3 player as opposed to a traditional, you know, a loophole non-playing player. Just because of the fact that with these early season buys, we kind of meet as many guys on on field as we can get. So if they're playing, it's going to be an absolute bonus. Um, and then with, um, I guess, you know, cash generation as well, it does open up another spot for us to um, make some cash out of. 
And the other part of the reason is the fact that with these early season buys, more often than not across those buys, you're gonna have a player that's gonna be on the buy. So you can obviously use those players as loophole players. So you don't really need a traditional non-playing loophole player in R3 as a loophole player um, to loop on a, a VC score. So that's pretty much it and the tactics behind that. But check out that episode to get more details around that because we do give some examples. But let's move on to the last part of our field and it is, of course, the forwards. Obviously covered this in forwards week uh, a week or two ago and um, we'll kick things off with uh, our F1, which at the moment, I think it's come out that um, McRae's had a little bit of a setback uh, with injury. I think it came out today as I record this. I'm not worried about it. It's come out and they've said that um, he's still aiming towards the practice game in the preseason and should be fine for round one. So he's still a lock and load for me. Um, I think he's probably the only genuine uh, primo that you can kind of have confidence in knowing, even though he kind of did lose a lot of CBAs. Again, go back and check out that episode um, if you can. I might try and put some uh, links just above the video here uh, that you can click on it and check out the relevant videos where we chat about those players at length. But uh, did lose CBAs, lost his average, went down on the previous season. But I think, you know, CBAs could potentially go back up. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see. But outside of that, historically has been a very reliable player. So that combined with the fact that he is a DPP player is an extra bonus as well. So let's move on to the uh, F2 spot and uh, we'll move down. It is Sam Flanders. Liam and I started with him last year uh, in our starting sides and he didn't produce uh, what we thought he would until the latter part of the season after, of course, we traded him out um, when he wasn't getting mid-minutes. But when he was getting mid-minutes, as we know, uh, and as we predicted, he was going to score well, which he did. So um, again, outside of McRae, he's probably the only guy that I'm confident in starting in my forward line. Um, again, check out the video when we chat about Flanders because uh, I am a little bit worried about him potentially losing CBAs with the return of Took to full fitness um, and then the elevation of um, Noah Anderson and whatnot as well. But I think he will get mid-time um, and, yeah, should be able to score quite well. Moving on to F3. Um, again, these guys we speak of in the uh, forwards episode, but I am, of all these guys, probably most keen on Dylan Moore. If I'm not going for Flanders or McRae, I am quite happy to take the punt on Dylan Moore. Should get more CBAs, I think, but uh, check out that forwards episode to get more of analysis on Dylan Moore. But uh, F3, we're going for a little bit of value here. And it is someone, let's see how he rates in terms of ownership. Jeez, he's pretty low, actually. 15%. Tom Lynch. So provided he is fit for round one, obviously, um, I think he's shown enough, even though he is a key position player, and, you know, Liam and I aren't big on him or big on these players to make us bulk cash. We did speak of in the forwards episode how in 2022, he came out and absolutely smashed in back-to-back games against West Coast, Collingwood and Hawthorne and was able to make uh, across that period over 150K. Um, so we know what he can produce on his day. Only query is that uh, obviously full fitness, but without Jack Rewalt there, the reliance is even more on Tom Lynch for them to, to be their sole avenue to kick, you know, I guess, Richmond a sizable score from week to week, um, which may mean that opposition teams will be able to double team Tom Lynch, given he is their quality forward. So again, that's kind of what I'm worried about. But at this stage, I'll have him there. If not for him, Jack Billings, he's kind of, he, he's in my team at the moment. He's at, there at F4, but again, I'm not sold. 
my thought is here, potentially dropping Lynch, moving James Jordan into uh, the forward line at F3, and then bring in, because I'll have some spare cash left over, as you'll see, bring in Sheldrick from the Swans. That does, however, mean that I start another player from Sydney who has a an early season buy. But I think with Sheldrick, if he comes out and smashes it in round zero, gets mid-time, all that sort of stuff, isn't you know a high rotation off the bench like he was in 2023, I am well prepared to do that because I do think he's going to be able to score more than Tom Lynch on a regular basis and be a better cash cow for us as a playing cash cow um, and bust out some nice scores. So that's kind of where I'm at at the moment, but we'll leave it with Tom Lynch as it stands, but that could easily change. But F5 is pretty uh, stock standard here, and it is the most, I think, owned player in the game, potentially, in Harley Reid. Mid-forward, deeper P, it's even uh, juicier. There is whispers or word that um, he is going to potentially start his career off halfback, much like Sheasel, much like Dacos, uh, and really be able to use that distributor role to his, I guess, uh, to, to great effect because, as we know, West Coast is going to struggle again, unfortunately, another season uh, for supporters, but uh, the ball will be down in defense more often than not, and he will be able to get uh, his hands on the footy, probably even more so than, than what he would if he's playing in the midfield. So still might get mid-minutes as well if he's played off halfback, just to sort of transition him into that uh, into that role over the coming seasons. Um, but I am super, super keen for Harley Reid. Then I think the other one is a given. I think these kind of these picks will be, but um, Sean Manor or Manar kicked six goals in the grand final for Werribee. Absolute gun, mature age player. Uh, Geelong drafted him with one of their first picks. And I think he will play from round one. So he's probably a hands down cash cow option that you need in your team. For the bench, it's not a straightforward, I don't think. Uh, at the moment, I've got Finn McRae, just because I think Collingwood will try and transition him into the midfield. Pendles, this is probably, who knows, he could play for another 10 years, but maybe his last year. So they may need to groom another midfielder uh, into their rotation, which could be in the form of Finn McRae. So I'm a, I'm a fan of him. Um, VFL level has been able to rack it up. Probably, you know, if he was playing for any other, any other team, he would have got a, uh, a fair crack, but uh, unfortunately didn't. But it is what it is. But he is a watch at the moment. The other player that I'm kind of switching between, and again, if it's not Finn McRae, it could be a Sam Darcy here, um, who should get opportunity going into his third or fourth season. Uh, smashed it in the VFL, um, as you would have heard in our forwards episode, when we run into those stats. But I think he should get opportunity. So he's on my radar, along with McRae. Um, but the player that I have in my uh, last bench spot at the moment is not this guy. He's not um, Nat Five, the absolute knife. Who's every time I see him, I scroll, I scroll past him. I just don't even pay him any, any attention because he's burnt me that many times. But anywho, that guy is Aaron Cadman. If you haven't seen the photos from training at the Giants, do yourself a favor. He is packed on the muscle, uh, going into his second season, number one draft pick, with. Their forward line, I think he will be groomed to be the absolute next gun. And uh, yeah, should be an absolute um, lock and load if he plays from round one, I think. Could be a slow burn, obviously, as a a key position forward, but um, it could be the next Jezza for the Giants. So do like him. I do think his, um, his job security will be right up there. So that's the big appeal in him, even though he could be a slow burn. But at least we know he's going to be playing early and will be able to provide a bit of cover across those early buys. 
among other guys there uh, that I'd be keen on, Zane Dersma, probably less so. I think he's going to be playing more time up forward, which kind of is really going to put a ceiling on his scoring output. And at that higher price point, as we know, as I spoke about earlier, any guys at a higher price point, they need to average more in order to make the same amount of money as a rookie that is cheaper. Darcy Wilson, I've already got at the moment. Um, Nick Watson as a, I guess, a small forward or mid-sized forward. Not a big fan of him uh, with forwards because their, their score is going to be up and down. But, you know, obviously the appeal here on Cadman is, even though Watson may have good job security, is at a higher price point, has to average more uh, in order to make more bank. Nate Cady, I don't mind, but again, falls into that same category. Um, in, if he was cheaper, 100%. Um, but yeah, I don't know if he's best 22 and will get regular spots for the Dons. I don't know as yet. Uh, I did look at uh, Satsis as well, Harms as well, mature age player. Uh, should get opportunity. Don't know how he's going to perform. Could come out and absolutely smash it because without Baz Lenka there. But I think there's almost too many cooks in the kitchen there. Obviously with Riley Sanders as well. Um, I think he's going to be getting opportunity. So there's, there's too much competition, I think, uh, for the Dogs at the moment. Zach Fisher, speaking to guys that I had in my team that switched out, uh, Zach Fisher was actually my F3, has gone down with a bit of a follow-up injury or, you know, the injury that he did sustain to his hamstring is worse than what they thought initially. Um, so, yeah, he goes out of my side, but I think if he's being groomed as that distributor off halfback, like the, you know, the Jay-Z role, the um, Jack Zebel role that uh, he had and, and Aaron Hall even before him, as you know, in that role and Sheasel as well, uh, it is quite favorable in terms of scoring. So he's still a watch at this stage, the old fish, but um, yeah, I'm less confident on him now. And starting with someone cheap, it means it frees up cash to be able to bring in another uh, primo in defense. So probably more in favor of that. Uh, and the other player that I mentioned earlier uh, in the midfield is, of course, the uh, is Matt Crouch. So Matt Crouch, we spoke of um uh, in our upcoming uh, episode on Monday. Sorry, he's in the second episode, I think, for the mid-prices slash value selections. And the big thing for me is that his scoring ceiling isn't that high. Uh, even though he's able, he's pretty much like a Tom Mitchell 2.0. He's able to rack up the pill, but his kick to handball ratio is absolutely horrid. Um, I think he, he's got like a 0.7 chance of kicking as opposed to, you know, handballing. Um, so yeah, it's not too good. Um, and it does put a ceiling on the amount of points that he can get out of disposal, obviously with a handball over kicking. His disposal hasn't been the best historically. He did um, clean it up when he returned to the Crows lineup. I don't think, you know, there are some people who are a bit worried about his spot in the best 22 for the Crows, but I think considering that he did re-sign a deal with the Crows, says to me that they're they, they guaranteed him a spot in the engine room uh, because there were overtures from other sides to potentially go and uh, seek a trade to them. But um, Crouch, to his credit as well, was like, no, nope, I'm sticking with the Crows. So I think his job security will be sound. Uh, when he came back into the team, uh, Ben Keyes, who was getting a bulk of CBAs through the season, actually was the player to lose out directly to Matt Crouch. And yeah, that, that says to me, again, there's no real direct competition. They prefer to play keys up four with sort of pinch hitting, rotating through the middle. Um, so yeah, again, kind of elevates the opportunity for Matt Crouch. The issue I have with Crouch also is the fact that at that price point at 490, I think it is, yeah, 490.8, is the fact that even though, yes, he may make cash, I'd prefer to start with a cheaper player that can make 100K or thereabouts um, sure, they may not be able to produce the same output as a Crouch. I think that can be made up, again, as I said, without starting with Crouch. 
um, and going for a cheaper player, it does free up the cash first and foremost to bring in an extra primo. And that primo more than likely will offset the difference in points that a crouch would get um, along with a rookie that's replacing him, say, James Jordan. So I think that's probably a smarter way to do things, uh, starting with an extra primo as opposed to starting with a Matt Crouch who's a, you know, a mid-pricer on the cusp of maybe being a primo. Um, so starting with an extra cash cow is a bonus in the fact that I get another avenue to make coin. Should make more coin than Matt Crouch, you'd think as well, James Jordan. And then, of course, as I said, that money by downgrading a Crouch down to Jordan does mean that I can afford to upgrade a mid-pricer or even a you know a high-end rookie in Chapman in defense to a Sicily um, and saves me a trade as well down the line, not having to use that trade in order to bring in a Sicily if I don't start with him. So there's a few cons here, pros and cons that I've weighed up and it's something that I didn't really factor in enough uh, with my starting team in 2023. That's probably one of my key learnings um, going into this year is just trying to balance my side a bit more with a few more guns and rookies as opposed to, you know, uh, guns with you know sprinkling of mid prices with some rookies because those mid prices if they don't come off if they fail um, it means you're kind of yes at that price point where you could trade them down but it does mean by that point you're trading them down to a rookie who may have already gone up in price um, and you've missed out on a price rise from said player so yeah and it saves you a trade as well so that's kind of my thinking behind it to summarize, I don't think there's any other players that I've missed. I may have potentially missed a player that I was looking to start. If I have, I'll chat about them in an upcoming episode or at least note it in the comment section down below if you're watching us on YouTube. Of course, if you're tuning in via podcast form, um, a lot of this stuff is probably, hopefully has made enough sense and I've gone into enough detail, but if it doesn't, head across to our YouTube channel um, because you'll see the visuals, be able to just consume it and follow along much, much easier. Um, So make sure to do that. And hopefully you've enjoyed the team reveal as it is at the moment. So let's go ahead and save my team. Actually, before I do that, as I said, what I could do is the only thing I'm weighing up is trading a Lynch, bringing James Jordan down to the forward line to F3, and then trading Lynch up to Sheldrick. Uh, and Sheldrick would go into my starting midfield. So that's, at the moment, the only change I'm thinking of, maybe. Jack Billings may be another guy that I'd look to shift out to maybe another rookie um, if they if said rookie performs well across the preseason. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see there. But let's go ahead and save my team. Uh, at the moment there, uh, upon saving my team, I've got 70.6K in the bank. Uh, a bit of room to move as well, which I quite like. Heading into the season with a little bit of cash, if need be, if I need to trade out a player uh, or at least bring out a player, bring in a player that smashed it, uh, that's at a higher price point of a player that I'm trading out. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, just to summarize sort of each line, each section. In defense, I've got two primos. I'm going to count Hayden Young as another primo. So we're going to say 2.5 primos. Uh, Zach Williams, who probably will be a playing cash cow, no doubt. Uh, Marty Hoare, cash cow, Caulfield, cash cow. Uh, and then cash cows on the bench. So in terms of structure, we'll count Hayden Young as a primo at this stage. So we're going to say it's a three, three primos, three rookies, and um, the two rookies on the bench. For midfielders, uh, I'm going to count LDU as a um, breakout contender slash primo. So I'm going to count him as a primo. So Laird, primo. LDU Primo, that's two. Tom Green is a Primo, but will be traded, of course, to a Sammy Walsh using that tactic that I spoke of earlier. Uh, so that's three Primos. Tookie Miller, I classify him as a fallen Primo. So that's four. Carl Amon, I don't know if he's going to be a keeper. 
could well be a keeper, could be a, a Jack Siebel type um, that we keep for majority of the season or a Sheasel potentially. Um, so I'm not going to count him as a primo as such yet. I'll count him as a mid-pricer. Uh, James Jordan, I'll count as a... I'll count him. He's kind of on the cusp, but I'll count him as a high-priced rookie. McCurcher, no doubt, rookie. Sanders, rookie. And Wilson, Sharp, and Clark all on the bench as rookies. So in terms of structure, it's a one, two, three, four. It's a four primo, uh, one mid-pricer, and a three rookie starting on the field and three rookies on the bench as well. For the Rucks, I'm going to count both Gorn and Grundy as primos. Two primos and a rookie on the bench in Jordan Sweet. Uh, in the forward line, um, we've got McRae and Flanders. I'm going to count Flanders as a primo as well in terms of the sense of primos, in inverted commas, in the forward line for this year. It's, we're not flush with um, with primos, but that's two in those guys there. Tom Lynch, I'm going to call him as a bit of a mid-pricer. Billings, I'll count as a mid-pricer as well. So that's a two-two structure. And in terms of rookies, Harley Reid and, and Manor as rookies as well. So it's a two, two, and two. And then on the uh, on the bench, obviously, as well, rookies uh, in McRae and Cadman at the moment. Uh, and that's pretty much my team as it stands. As I said, um, if you need to have a look at my team um, visually, and I encourage you to do so if you've listened to us on the uh, podcast, audio podcast format, go and check us out on YouTube. Just search Supercoach Edge, of course. Don't forget to like and subscribe, um, all that sort of stuff. And click the notification bell because I have found out that if you click that, when we do uh, upload, you can actually get a notification via email or you can get it on your main page. So when you open up YouTube, will flash up on your screen uh, on your homepage um, straight away. So be sure to click the notification bell as well. And just on that, really do appreciate all the support that we've got over across the preseason thus far has been absolutely immense. Our subscriber numbers have gone through the roof. Really do appreciate that and appreciate the support. And whilst you're here, if you got to this part of the um, the video, we have been going there for almost an hour and 20, so we'll wrap it up shortly. But a little bit of a teaser. We will be running our Patreon this season again, which is obviously a platform that um, I guess allows you to support what we do in terms of content from week to week. But we are incentivizing it this year. We are, last year we did a cash, a cash league. This year we're doing a cash league with, let me just say a cash prize, a major cash prize in four figures. So um, yeah, it's going to be a big, big cash prize. So no doubt we'll, we'll be uh, doing a separate video on that, announcing it, of course, and all the details will be involved in that. So not only will you get a chance to get some big money if you win the Our Cash League, um, but also it means that uh, by, I guess, subscribing, it's a, it's a year-long subscription. Um, it pays for virtually, I think, I think it pays for itself in, in terms of the prize that you're getting, but also you're supporting us. And it means that we can give back to UConn folk as well in terms of being able to use some of the money to put towards um, more giveaways, more merch uh, giveaways, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, we are looking forward to that, but a uh, little bit of a treat for those of you that uh, stayed on until the end, um, but look out for those details. Of course, from here on out, uh, this coming week, we have our midfielder week where we go through again, our primos, mid prices slash value and rookies. And then we're ending it with, of course, defenders week, again, primos, mid prices slash value and rookies. And then post that, uh, we will be doing a bit of a team update again, and then doing some videos, which will be covering some of the players that we may have missed in our analysis episode in uh, forwards week, midweek, ruck week and defense 
Defenders Week. So um, if you have any players that you want us to chat about, of course, in those videos or pod- audio podcasts um, that we may have missed, let us know. Slide into our DMs, hit us up on Twitter slash X, or comment in the comment section down below uh, in the relevant videos on YouTube. But that's pretty much it, ladies and gents. As you can see there, that's my team. Pretty happy with it as it stands at the moment, tactically wise, structurally wise as well. Um, and yeah. Until uh, next time, I guess uh, we will see you and uh, hopefully my team doesn't change too much. So uh, ladies and gents, thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget, as I said, to like and subscribe and hopefully you've loved our content across the preseason thus far and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Cheers. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.